You are listening to the Big Blue Rock Pod, produced by the Kentucky Geological Survey at the University of Kentucky. This podcast is a fun, conversational approach to discussing all things geology and earth processes. We talk emerging ideas and research, along with classic topics in earth science for all levels of interest. Let's do the show. Hello, welcome to the Big Blue Rock Pod. I'm Matt Crawford, along with my co-hosts, Doug Curl and Sarah Arpin. How are we doing? Good. How are you doing? Hello. Happy New Year. Yeah. Yeah. Happy New Year. We're a little late in January here, but... um, Yeah. It's all right. We're back. Got to get back in the swing of things. Get back in the swing of it. Um, (sighs) Today's topic is a little bit outside outside the box, right? Um, We like to keep it fresh (laughs) here, um, (laughs) make it fun. And our, the topic is our favorite geology books. Yeah. So we don't have a guest today, but each of us are going to give a little spiel on our uh, favorite geology books. Now, it doesn't have to be, uh, there weren't really any rules here, but doesn't, <laughs> so it doesn't have to be any like, you know, hardcore, uh, strict, traditional geology. I mean, my book is not. And so, uh, Sarah, I think you have a couple of surprises. Uh, so mm. uh, just books that we love and we think maybe our audience would love and um, things that we think are fun and interesting. It's winter. It seems like a good time to cozy up with a good yeah, book. Yeah, so that's a really some good point. Yeah. Some yeah. options. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. And we're wonderful book reviewers. So <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be incredible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like your optimism. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, Doug, you're going to go first. Uh, Sarah, you'll go second. Cool. And I'll right. go last. Uh, loose rules were 10 minutes apiece on our books. <laughs> Sarah's got a two for one. She's got a little surprise. Of course. Um, but Doug, you and I each have one book and we'll, we'll give our spiel. So why don't you go first? Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. So when you, when you said this topic, the, a book immediately popped in my head, which actually probably a lot of geologists would pick one of the books from this um, series called, well, the series is called Annals of the Former World by John McPhee, who's a He's a writer from um, from Princeton. I think he teaches or taught writing at Princeton University, um, but he writes for the New Yorker. So he's he's not a geologist. He's he's actually an essayist. Yeah. Um, and he would probably consider himself a journalist. Mm. Uh, he's written books about everything from oranges, the history of oranges, to <laughs> he spent time on a merchant marine ship, which was that's a really really good book. Mm. Um, to spending time with uh, different fe- people in their fields of expertise. So one of his first books is about Bill Bradley, the basketball player. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, so I, I chose one of his books out of this annals called Rising from the Plains, which um, is the third book in that series. It was published in 1986. Um, that whole annals was published in 1999 and won a um, Pulitzer Prize. It's a great book. Yeah, yeah, it's it's awesome. It's four books. It's uh, Basin yeah. and Range, which 1981, and Suspect Train, 1983, Rising from the Plains, and then um, Assembling California, which was 1993. Um, and in all of them, he follows, or he, he kind of goes around with a different geologist or geologists or multiple geologists. Um, and, and what he's doing is trying to assemble... Um, a look at the 40th parallel of North America. So he's he's kind of traveling from New Jersey to, um, you know, the 40th parallel kind of cuts across 
Well, it was the the boundary between Nebraska and Kansas. Ooh. Okay. Um, just north of us, just north of Kentucky. Just north of Kentucky, yeah. yeah. So, but this book, uh, Rising from the Plains, is about Wyoming. So it's, um, he follows a geologist named David Love, um, who uh, w- worked for the USGS, really interesting geologist. He worked for the USGS. Um, he was director of the Wyoming survey for a really long time. I don't know the dates. Um, but his claim to fame is uh, he uh, has his name as the uh, lead author on two geologic maps of Wyoming, so the mm. 1955 map and the 1990, mm. 1985 map, uh, geologic map of Wyoming, which um, is a an awesome map. If you've ever, if you want like a really pretty map to put on your wall, the map of Wyoming. It's, it's also like square, which is nice. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> just this beautiful. Uh, map that you can spread out on a big table or hang up on your wall Um, and the thing about Wyoming is it has this awesome geology that I mean if you go to Wyoming you can see all the geology and and John McPhee talks a lot about this in the book and so he follows David Love across uh, Wyoming mostly on I-80 which is the major interstate there but they kind of go kind of north and they just talk about the geology and, um, you know, the kind of, also they dip into the cultural history. So it really starts out um, actually with a, a nice uh, look at, um, from the diaries of David Love's mom, uh, Ethel Waxman. Uh, he finds all these, he has all these unpublished diaries about her life as a frontier woman. Mm. Um, and she's super interesting as well. Um, so it kind of mixes the history of, you know, the frontier, a um, little Native American history, but not much. Um, but, you know, the history of the frontier as, as white people came to Wyoming and then and then obviously the geology and mm-hmm. sort of exploring um, what it's like to be this field geologist who I think the, I don't, I don't know what the, what the amount is, but they say David Love spent like a third of his life sleeping on the ground or something like that. Um, he was in the field a lot. Field, yeah, the very prototypical <laughs> field geologist from out west, you awesome. know what I mean? Um, wow. But he was a very, uh, I, I was reading the obituary of, of David Love and um, he died in 2002 and that was a really good read because he was uh, also an environmentalist so he helped find um, the first big deposits of uranium in Wyoming and he was he was very conflicted about the mining of uranium, um, and hmm. and he probably could have gone into mining, um, but he didn't. He stayed on as as like the state geologist of Wyoming. He probably could have made tons and tons of money. Um, he donated a bunch of land in Jackson uh, when he died to, um, or not a bunch of land, but some land in Jackson to um, to low in, low income oh. housing, oh. Oh, wow. uh, which is kind of a big deal. Jackson. Yeah. So, really interesting person, but um, that's a good read. Um, so personally, though, it it this book means a lot to me because it was first, you know, I I read it when I was a undergrad in geology. It was the, kind of the first. I was just getting into geology. Somebody, I think my professor told me about this book. I read it, and I mean, I was already hooked on geology, but this really kind of set the clause in for doing field geology and mapping, which is what I did. Yeah. Um, I would 
we had the we had the state map of of Wyoming, so I would like put it on the big table in the in the geology room and pour over the map and like the book and stuff. And oh, cool! You did this at UT? Uh, no, this is at Guilford College. Oh, at Guilford, um, right? Okay. Yeah, my undergrad. Right, right. Um, so it just has a lot of personal meaning for me. I took a trip out west, and I remember taking the book and like having it on my lap. I don't recommend doing this. <laughs> Although when you're driving in Wyoming, it's like a lot of straight roads. And, <laughs> and there's some places where there's just nothing around. And there's nothing. It's fine. Except yeah, but lots of deer. <laughs> right. I'm like reading the book. Uh, a, a better way to do this was what we did when my family took a trip out west <laughs> a few years ago is get the audiobook. Nice. Yeah. Um, and it is a great lesson when you're Aww. driving across Wyoming, which is big, a long drive. A long but <laughs> beautiful. I mean, there's yeah, yeah. all kinds of you drive diagonal from mm-hmm. Yellowstone southeast. That yeah. is a long, barren drive, that's but beautiful. That's drive. exactly what we yeah. did, and we were listening to Rising from the Plains. Yeah, yeah. yeah man. Like, it worked perfectly, so Aww. much safer than having it on your yeah. lap and trying to read it, <laughs> which is really dumb. <laughs> but young and stupid. So, yeah, that's my book. And, um, I, you know, all of his books that I've read and his essays are just really, really good. Mm-hmm. He has a couple mm-hmm. other books um, about kind of geology adjacent. One encounter with Art Druid um, where he, he goes around with an uh, environmentalist named David Brower. Um, mm-hmm. That was like 1971, mm-hmm. I think, wasn't it? And then um, I know Sarah was thinking about this book, The Control of Nature. Oh, yeah. Um, or somebody was thinking about this book. It's Matt, actually uh, No, it wasn't me. Actually, it's really recommended. It comes up when you do the book that I am. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. So oh, okay. All right, so cool. So they're all yeah. kind of related. Yeah. But um, if I remember right, it's been a while since I've read Annals of the Former World, but it's very accessible. Books, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? That's and the so other thing. Non-geologists, I mean, you can really get into it. Yeah. So McPhee is learning geology with you. So he he is not a geologist yeah. at all. He's a, he's a writer. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, so... You know, he's asking the same questions that you would probably ask if you were a geologist right. of the geologists and having, you know, I mean, he he definitely pulls out some terms and, and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I think most people find it pretty accessible if you're, you know, it's a science oriented book. So it's sure. not, um, you know, but, yeah, that's a great point. You know, it's 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 an accessible yeah. read. It's not. And it's not heavy. It's, um, yeah. Nice. It's mm-hmm. a great, great choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we're doing this. Yeah. <laughs> Fun to talk about that book. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Excellent. All right, Sarah. You're uh, up. Okay. So I do have two. Um, I have one that's more personal, um, kind of my start and like why I'm here today, really. Um, and then another one that I think that's a broader, broader, um, topic and fits into both of your books a bit better too so the first one i was going to do um is a geological guide to mammoth cave national park which is by arthur palmer i think it was like the second or third episode that we ever did um of this podcast where i did the mammoth cave episode oh yeah and you mentioned you mentioned this book i think yeah i'm sure i did and the author is a co-author on sort of the the big paper the daryl granger paper that i broke down in that episode um this was published in 1981, um, and so it's older than 
the work that I talked about uh, and the paper that I talked about in that previous episode. Um, but as Doug said, like it's super accessible. And that was one of the things that, uh, one of the sort of the criteria that I went with when I picked the books for today's episode. Um, and so way back in, I think 2007, when I was a little volunteer at Mammoth Cave um, and starting to get into caves coming from a political science background. This is one of the very first books mm. that I read that was geology. Um, and at that time it was accessible enough for me to understand it. Um, and, and so I think like that's part of the reason, um, I would recommend this book. It is specific to Mammoth Cave, um, but he goes through many concepts that aren't, right? Um, cave formation, general hydrology and geomorphology, um, all in an easy and understandable way. In the end, he also goes through the major tours that you can take at Mammoth Cave and he goes through the geology that you would you would see as you went through that tour route. Um, and so you can read it beforehand and like take it with you as a reference and do these tours. You actually can see um, in the cave exactly what he's talking about. And so for, for that reason, um, I would recommend A Geological Guide to Mammoth Cave by Art Palmer. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that, I mean, that that's, it's yeah. a good one. I, I haven't read it, but I, I've seen it and you're not reading anything about Mammoth Cave or seeing anything about Mammoth Cave that doesn't reference that book or Art Palmer. Absolutely. Right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. What's his background? Do you know? Um, yeah. So, I mean, he's a geologist. Art uh, taught at Oneida uh, in New York, um, but he got his Ph.D. Uh, doing research on Blue Spring Caverns in Indiana um, and and then a lot of research at Mammoth Cave. And so you awesome. will see paper after paper after. Yeah. He's really the one that kind of figured out the levels and the tide of glaciation and base level drop and, and rise with mm. glaciation. Um, mm. And so it talks about the levels of Mammoth Cave and all of those um, things in this book in a much more accessible way than the journal article with um, sure. cosmogenic dating and things yeah, like right, that, yeah. right? And well, that everyone go back and listen to our Mammoth Cave episode, <laughs> <That's> right. everybody. <laughs> right. I think it's awesome that a, you know a scientist writes these very accessible books. Exactly. You know, and um, I think that's a lesson. Mm -hmm. You know, you can probably just learn from reading the book is how to write accessibly for, you know, to bring your science to everybody. That's a great point. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's cool. I do, I do remember I had just started kind of reading the book, and I had printed out in there, he's got a stratigraphic column, and I had, like, gone and printed that out and hung it on my wall in my volunteer house, uh, housing at, at Mammoth Cave, and uh, walked down to the science resource management office one day, and there was a group of people in the lobby, and it just so happened that, like, one of them, well, it was Art and his wife, Peg Palmer, both um geologist she's a mineralogist and they publish together a lot yeah. so both huge names in in the geologist and, and cave geology speleology community and um I like that was it uh, that yeah. was what i would yeah. knew like this is what <laughs> i want to do and i i still um talk to art and oh. he oh, and cool. so yeah oh. they actually sent me all their data from silvertip which is my field site oh. that's a complete oh, side wow. note oh <laughs> so okay. um, future episode there yes yeah. I love that you all have picked uh, books that, that mean something to you and just have sparked something <laughs> in you. You know, it's just uh, to be able to talk about that, is, I think it's cool. Okay, 
Second book. Second book. The second book um, is not straight geology either. So it's called The Song of the Dodo, and it's by David Quammen. It's older than I thought. It's actually uh, was published in 96, um, but still holds um, as, as pertinent as ever, I guess. And so that is um, subtitled Island Biogeography in an Age of Extinctions. And I just thought um, we've seen several major extinctions along with the uh, geologic record and, and evolution of species in our geologic record. So I thought it kind of related in that yeah. way. It's a yeah. broad relation. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's a also very accessible read, very entertaining read. I was telling Doug earlier, it kind of reminds me of a Bill Bryson book, mm. um, which I really love Bill Bryson as well. Um, but entertaining read with a, a good message. So the idea... Um, there is that in these islands, islands are great breeding grounds for evolution. Um, you get really interesting creatures and traits that evolve on islands. Um, islands tend toward gigantism with these very large uh, flightless birds like the dodo, for example. Or um, you've got your birds of paradise, all these different... Great uh, example, <laughs> like the Galapagos Islands. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Turtles. Yeah. Okay. Also discussed in <laughs> okay. there. Yeah. He talks about the coffins. Absolutely. Um, but not only are they great breeding grounds for these like evolutionary uh, novel things, um, they're also grounds for extinction. And that's because you have a one locality um, where this species has evolved. And so if they're gone, if, if, you know, 80 or 90% of their population on that one island are affected, um, then they're like, that's it. Whereas like humans or other things have spread, you know, across many continents, um, that gives them this buffer. Whereas things that evolve on islands um, and are still native to those islands and haven't really moved off of them don't have that buffer. And um, what he relates that to then is the way that we divide up the rest of the world. So while we live on these large continents with large populations of, of different species, um, we divide them up. We have our cities, we have farms, we have um, gra grasslands, grazing lands, pasture lands, um, and then we create these preserves or these national parks or these national forests where, oh, well, these are our native lands, these are natural lands undisturbed where we can protect and preserve these species. Um, but what we're doing is we're creating islands. Mm. They're disconnected. There's no movement between them. Um, and that makes species very vulnerable. And so it's a cautionary tale, basically, mm. um, and, and talks about extinction and the extinctions that we're seeing in the modern world with all human activity going on, um, this, all these anthropogenic causes of, of extinctions today. Um, and kind of ends with a message of like, what does that mean for humanity and our, our own extinction and our own place in the world? So um, I thought it was really interesting because he does, he gets into um, sort of Darwin and Wallace. Like there's some, there's some science and some history and some theories and things in there, but again, super accessible. Um, yeah, so oh. that, that was my pick. Oh, that's great. Yeah. great. Yeah. Great choice. Um, definitely reading this. <laughs> yeah. this yet. Yeah. yeah. It's really yeah. fun. Put it, on, yeah. put it on the list. And so, actually, that's that is a nice segue to my book. Actually, <laughs> I thought they were yeah. all kind of okay. like related. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, my book is *The Invention of Nature* by Andrea Wolf. Uh, it was published in 2015, and it's a book about the life and contributions of Alexander von Humboldt. Excellent. 
Uh, so you mentioned bi biogeography. Mm. Uh, Alexander von Humboldt was a German naturalist, a geographer, an explorer, and philosopher of science. Uh, he was born in Berlin in 1769. But if you could you know, pin one thing on him, uh, say, who is this guy? He probably, you'd probably label him a biogeographer. Awesome. Um, but like you just said, like that's, that's tied to so many other disciplines in science and mm -hmm. how all these things are interconnected. Um, so it's very much tied to geology and particularly tied to environmental geology. Um, so what I love about the book uh, um, is Alexander von Humboldt's holistic perception of the universe, basically. Uh, he was this broad thinker guy, uh, you know, kind of coming up in the Renaissance um, in Germany. Um, he was really the first person credited with um, connecting diverse branches of science mm -hmm. um, and sort of thinking about things big picture. Um, so he was sometimes called the, the father of system science. Oh so okay, like yeah. connecting the atmosphere to the lithosphere to the biosphere. Right. And, you know, those kinds of broad concepts are also the, what drew me into geology. Mm -hmm. Like if someone can explain to me how things come to be, how things are connected, that's, that's what I love. Like that's what I love to learn about. So that, um, you know, just I, I appreciated this sort of broad view of connecting, connecting things that Humboldt was credited with. Um, so some more specific things he was credited with include uh, inventing isotherms of temperature. Oh, so yeah. on drawing isotherms of temperature on a map for the first time. Cool. Uh, discovering the magnetic equator. He took a lot of magnetic measurements on his journeys. Um, the idea, he was credited with coming up of, uh, with the idea of climate zones, mm. uh, which are important now more, more than ever, I think. Um, he dabbled with spatiotemporal distributions and connections between volcanoes and earthquakes. Mm. This is obviously way, way before yeah. plate tectonics <laughs> and all these ideas about h how earthquakes happen, why, why are there mountains, uh, you know, all these big uh, tectonic-related things in geology. Um, so he really revolutionized the way we think about the natural world. Um, and it sounds you know, kind of broad and obvious, but it really, it really wasn't oh, um, sure, yeah. at the time, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, he's got some degrees from a university in Frankfurt, uh, Göttingen in Germany, and he got a degree in like mining geology from the, the Freiburg School of Mines in Germany. So he's got degrees in lots of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, he was not just a geologist, um, he was so many other things. Um, but like all these degrees and all these interests and this broad way of thinking just really set up a uh, kind of his thirst for sharing ideas like that. He just wanted to share. Here's how we should start thinking about the world, you know, and and intellectual exchange. So he wasn't maybe the scientist in the lab. He was the guy that, you know, liked to be on the debate stage or just give a talk here or there about how we start thinking about systems and and the planet and nature and how all these things are connected so he'd give talks all over Europe and I did that this kind of ginned up his 
reputation and it kind of made him famous. And so then his career kind of, kind of took off. Um, so one of the main things he did was took a trip to South America. Um, that also connected with me. I, I lived in South America for a year after college and uh-huh. traveled around <laughs> and lo- loved every minute of it. It was an incredible experience. Actually did some geology down there. Maybe that could be a episode. Yeah, we should do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty that, wild yeah. story. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so Von Humboldt went to uh, Ecuador. He went to a lot of time into Venezuela, went into Peru. Uh, he was in the Americas from 1799 to 1804. And one of the main things he did was climb Mount, Mount Chimborazo in Ecuador. And at the time, I think it was considered the tallest mountain in the world. I mean, mm. it, well, it's not, but yeah. mm-hmm. that's what people thought, I think. Um, so it's this big stratovolcano in the Andes in Ecuador. And uh, he had a team of people, and they, they climbed it, just making meticulous mm. observations and measurements along the way. Um, atmospheric variables, magnetic field measurements, uh, uh, plant and you know, tree observations, um, species inventory, um, distribution of plants and rock types, just comprehensive cross-sections. It's a uh, lot to be doing when you're climbing yeah, when a you're mountain climbing. Oh my back God. then it was with <laughs> the equipment that they had. 100%. Like, it yeah, was right. like a harrowing journey. Oh yeah. It's amazing gosh. he's alive. I mean, like... They didn't have great gear, right? right. It's uh, like yeah. the elements are just crazy dangerous, <laughs> and you're trying to, you know, make these measurements and draw Incredible. stuff in your book and yeah. take notes. Yeah, absolutely wild. Um, that was like one big uh, piece of this book. It talks about that that particular climb and that journey. Cool. He traveled across Venezuela and went down some tributaries of the Amazon and made a lot of observations. He sailed to Mexico, spent a lot of time in Mexico, uh, sailed to Cuba, and then he sailed to the States, and he really wanted to meet Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> and uh, he was like obsessed, because he knew Thomas Jefferson was a, sci- a science guy. Mm-hmm. And so um, he got to the States, met with Jefferson. He was also kind of, you know, wanted to make this connection between like a new world and how this new free country was building and how that could be maybe connected to nature and you know good science in a way um so he was also kind of progressive like uh, he was very much into liberty and freedom Mm. and and uh equality and like a new Mm. world so there's a little bit of politics in the book actually um so he met in dc with with jefferson he met the white house so like it was also perfect timing like you got this guy who's like becoming famous for you know this new way of looking at nature you also have this country that's just like on this like skyrocketing trajectory of newness, right? Mm-hmm. We have all this, it's a huge country, um, you know, we're soon to be a huge country. And Jefferson's like starting to figure stuff out in terms of natural resources and politics and, mm-hmm. and um, acquiring land mm-hmm. and borders with other countries and all this stuff. So these two got along really well. Jefferson and Humboldt, they were just like loved bouncing ideas off of each other and he ended up going back to Europe, um, did more traveling. He took a real famous journey through Russia uh, and tried to make it to India, never made it. Um, but w- long trip in Russia, observing lots of different stuff. Um, when he got back, like his contemporaries just sort of thought this guy was a rock star. Like yeah. he's, he's been a, a ton of places. The way he thinks about the world, the meticulous of 
meticulousness of his notes and observations and everything was just, uh, people were in awe of it basically. Uh, it was like kind of a, a buzz, you know, everywhere this guy went. Um, you know, this legendary global traveler who just is, is outgoing and free thinker, big thinker, you know. Um, some other interesting things about von Humboldt, he was described as uh, an overbearing talker, which I, I, can, maybe, <laughs> I can maybe see. <laughs> uh, Self-obsessed. Well, he's not a close talker. <laughs> no. I don't know if he was a close talker. Good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the same time, he was unselfish and just super into sharing ideas, right? Yeah. He just wanted so much to share, you know, these new thoughts about, about the way of looking at the world. Mm -hmm. um, again, influenced uh, Thomas Jefferson. He influenced Charles Darwin. He, he influenced Darwin's uh, trip uh, on the Beagle and through the Beagle Channel. Yeah, I was going to say, whole I mean, lot. Yeah, Darwin went after him, right? After to him. South America. Mm. So, like, Darwin would claim that his that journey wouldn't even be possible without, without Humboldt's contributions oh, okay. and thoughts. Yeah. Uh, he really influenced Simon Bolivar, who, helped, you know, mm -hmm. was in South America. He influenced uh, a lot of poets, a lot of writers who just oh, wow. loved to, you know, hear about that, this way of thinking mm -hmm. about, about nature. Um, what else? Um so, yeah, like, even though he was kind of like this big, big thinker and sort of revolutionized thinking about nature and nature is this big organism where all these parts are connected, he did have this sort of, like, precise, meticulous nature about him with the observations. And that's what makes a good scientist, I think, you know, to be able to yeah. do both those things. Mm -hmm. um, oh, he actually, I think, is kind of credited with the first person to think about human-induced climate change and that was on the Venezuela trip oh, wow. that he went on uh, he looked at a lot of lakes there mm -hmm. and um, looked at a lot of deforestation mm -hmm. and thinking about hey this if this road continues uh, you might expect this to happen I've connected a lot of these uh, you know worlds mm -hmm. a atmosphere and biosphere and and so so forth. So he, he he was you know started to think about that you know really early on. Um, and for whatever reason, like uh, his status and scientific influence kind of faded later in life. Like you don't hear much about Alexander Alexander von Humboldt here in the states. No. Um, er, in other English speaking countries, uh, he's big in Europe. Big in Europe. Big in Europe. Especially <laughs> 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 Germany. <laughs> but, but there are, you, you hear that name though, right? There's lots yeah. of towns, mm. Humboldt, well, Humboldt yeah, like Kansas, or like you know, Humboldt, Humboldt this, California. Humboldt, California. There's that's a whole fault him. named after him. I think it's named after him. I think it's a Humboldt, Tennessee. Oh. Uh, so okay. he's got lots of stuff named after him. It's just, um, I think it's just taken a while to like give him credit for thinking yeah. about nature this way the Lafayette of scientists or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he died in 1859. He was 89 years old. Oh, oh. wow. Yeah. Man. Um, so, yeah, The Invention of Nature by Andrea Wolf. Good read. Cool. All right. Uh, it really just digs into his life. And, and uh, I think a geologist would really love it just because mm. we're, 
we're arm wavers, right? Yeah. Like systems uh, thinker. Systems thinker. Yeah. Yeah. How to connect uh, parts of uh, earth processes with with other parts of nature, you know? Yeah, I mean, that seems like a very, you know, very modern thing is, is connecting systems. I mean, there was a long time when geology was, I think, very... Compartmentalized. Yeah, compartmentalized. To- totally. And now we're, we're starting to do a lot more systems thinking. So, mm-hmm. yep. Um, congrats to Von Humboldt for <laughs> being... Yeah, he was the man. Born 300, <laughs> 200 years <laughs> early or whatever. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting, like... All of our books, um, they're really like interdisciplinary, right? Mm-hmm. It gets at geology, but it's it is that like interrelated sort yeah. of thing. Um, the other thing that came to mind is that they all have to do with like travel and that that whole like oh, the yeah. best geologists have seen the most rocks. I realized like these yeah. guys were probably like conquistadors and whatever <laughs> that were <Right. laughs> like funded by their governments <laughs> to go and whatever but um yeah not, but not john mcphee but <laughs> well but yeah i mean uh, you know well i think but yeah yeah that's a good point i mean i think von humboldt he didn't have much money at all he just really? went really got on the ships yeah got on the ships grabbed yeah. people who he thought would you know go with him mm-hmm. interesting uh he didn't really have a family i, don't, I think he died broke pretty much oh wow his just passion was just sharing ideas. Just get out there yeah. and explore. Explore. Yeah. I think one of the things I like about the McPhee books, I, don't, I, I can't remember who all the geologists are, but I think at least a couple of them are survey geologists. And oh that was, cool. oh yeah. That was another thing was, um, you know, working for a survey, sharing your information, your, your science with the public um, was kind of a takeaway and, and, you know, Mm-hmm. That seems to be a theme here as well right. as, as scientists who are into, um, you know, making making their ideas out there and, right. and mm-hmm. publishing them so everybody can read mm-hmm. them versus, say, you know, working for a corporation and keeping them, yeah. right. which is important work, um, but different, you know, and I like that public service sort of aspect of... of that's a great point. That's what the... At least the David Love, that was another takeaway for me in that, mm. in that yeah. book. But and I kind of see that thread mm-hmm. here. But Good point. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at us. We got our books on the table. We I got know. our notes. I, know. I think we know, yeah. know what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other book I did think of was Bill Bryson's Short History of yeah. Nearly Everything. Oh, that's, that's a good Very one. good yeah. book. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. if everybody else we'll have to do out there wants let's another. Do a, let's do a... <laughs> A volume two of this podcast, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. sometime pick another book <gasps> after music and after movies. music. Oh, oh, don't give away everything. <laughs> oh, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> music and movies could be on the list, though. Yeah. Just uh, <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> poetry, poetry, yeah. Ooh. yeah. Ooh. Get Rachel on. Um, I think we did tell tell all of our millions of listeners we're doing the uh, ask us anything and so that is coming we, yeah. we had to yeah. wrangle all the questions so uh, that is that is coming down the road cool Sweet. hey great job you all good yeah. books yeah, yeah it was fun book. it was fun. really fun yeah, yeah. All, right. all right see ya see ya this podcast was produced by the Kentucky Geological Survey at the University of Kentucky special thanks to Rebecca Frazier for technical support if you have ideas for the show email mcrawford at uky.edu. Thanks for listening.